Welcome. You made it to the Secret Society of Success. In this not-so-secret podcast, we interview L&D changemakers about how they approach the evolving corporate environment and cultivate their own careers. We hope that from their stories, you find lessons and inspirations to make yourself, your people, and your organizations more successful. In this first season, we're exploring the topic of hybrid learning, what that means at different organizations, why it is increasingly important, and how L&D leaders can invest in the right resources to best leverage it. Today, we want to talk about how switching to hybrid learning impacts the members of the L&D team and how L&D leaders can successfully manage that transition. To make better light of this conversation, we've invited Mary Glowaka of Preply to share a specific story from the winter of 2020. Welcome, Mary. How are you today? Hi, Tom. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. So listen, before we jump into your 2020, I'll call it an inspiration story, can you give us a quick overview of your career in HR and L&D? Yes, absolutely. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone who's joining to listen in. Yes, my entry point to the whole world of HR was through training. Uh, I started work quite young in that domain with no prior experience. I studied linguistics, in fact, so quite uh, far-fetched from what I ended up doing professionally. And I just fell in love with the whole topic of people development and helping organizations grow and become better and better over time through its people. I worked uh, predominantly in the corporate world at Nestle, uh, EY, uh, Bank of America, where I held global roles predominantly focused on organizational development, leadership development, coaching, learning and development strategies, learning technologies, uh, and performance enablement from strategy to then uh, translating those strategies into execution plans and driving big transformational changes for these organizations. And now uh, I am in the fantastic world of scale-ups at Preply, mm-hmm. uh, in the world of language learning, and I head up the Center of People Excellence, again, focusing on organizational development across the whole company with my team. That is Awesome. Very impressive background, Mary, and I'm excited to get the opportunity. I know you and I had spoke a little bit about that, the story you're going to share from, from your time at Bank of America, and I think it's an incredible one. So, you know, I know that the vast experience you, you've got um, leading teams and, and departments should definitely give our, our listeners some awesome takeaways from our conversation today. So excited to, uh, to dig into it. Um, before we start the story, which is the, the really exciting part, um, what we're trying to do is just ask our guests to begin the conversation, defining a couple of key terms um, so that the context of how we use them throughout the discussion mm-hmm. is clear from your perspective, right? Um, so uh, to start, Mary, how do you define hybrid learning? Sure. I don't necessarily deem the term hybrid learning anything particularly new in the world of learning and development. I pretty much understand it as a blended learning approach where you seek the best method 
uh, of uh, training or, or delivering learning to your people to meet their at their point of need and you're finding the best way of conveying that that learning initiative let's put it that way yeah. so yeah. it's a, it's a combination of different types of approaches that blend into one learning experience and that hybrid that particular word in there is, uh, you know, in the context of enabling that anytime, anywhere uh, and meeting people where they are and not necessarily forcing them to travel to sit <laughs> in a classroom right. for lack of a for lack of a better example. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I, it, it, that's, you know, it's funny as we've been going through this season, you know, we, we continue to hear that theme, right? This is not a, a new turn. It is just a topic that's become increasingly relevant in the context of yes. what you know the global events in the last in the last 48 months. So I don't want to wait any further. Let's set the stage. <laughs> it's March 2020. Where are you and what are you working on? Sounds very ominous. It feels <laughs> like Game of Thrones, you know? A little bit, right? <laughs> but yes, it's it's March 2020 for the past six to eight months. I had been uh, leading a global project at at the bank. And that's Bank of America, correct? And that's yeah, Bank yeah. of America, yes. A, a global project um, focusing around providing people with tools and practical uh, tactics and strategies to support themselves and others in their teams as well as in their families from an emotional perspective so very much focused on topics like resilience and uh, health and wellness and so on and we started designing this program together with the thrive global the company set up by ariana huffington and we started designing this program uh, you know the year before and at that stage in march uh, at the beginning of march we are a few days before launching this program globally. Originally, the strategy was that the program was designed, first of all, uh, with five core modules. Again, a blended experience, but the prerequisite module, the first one was a classroom environment experience. Uh, So that's in terms of the the program components. In terms of the broader strategy, we were targeting manager, manager population across the bank with a view that the managers cascade the key messages uh, to their team. And the location strategy was such that we mapped out the key hubs across the world. And that's where we were going to conduct these prerequisite sessions with a view, of course, that uh, we selected the hubs where majority of the manager population was already present, Right. With an assumption that there will be an element of, of course, many people having to travel. And and just to continue to level set a little bit about this story, because I know you and I have talked about it quite a bit. This is a pretty visible program at the bank, was it not? I think you, you had uh, uh, some pretty high level sponsorship of this program. Yes, absolutely. It was a very high profile program. It was sponsored by the CEO of the bank himself. Uh, so, yes, very, very important program, which also you know shows you how important the topics of wellness and employee, you know, mental well-being as well have were already important to that organization. Yeah. Um, because as I said, we started designing it um, 
around and building the whole strategy around May 2019, actually. Yeah. We've got to remember it, it's an organization of over 200,000 people. And there was also a big element of uh, accrediting our facilitators. So we identified right. a number of people from the business who would become facilitators. And as part of the partnership with, with our vendor, they needed to go through a specialist accreditation program because the, the 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 program that we built was very very heavily based on the latest science and research around mental well-being around things like you know how lack of sleep affects you uh, and things like that so there was almost a four-month train the trainer program for our facilitators and once they got accredited uh, they were ready to they were ready to run and going back to uh, to our timeline it's march beginning of march 2020 and we're a few days uh, from launching and then <laughs> things are starting starting to <laughs> to unravel okay so so let me let me just recap at level set and then you can continue down sort of the path of the story right so so for the audience i mean you've been leading this project to deliver a CEO-sponsored learning initiative that you're collaborating with an outside vendor on, right? You're, you've got a group of facilitators across the globe that are SMEs that are accredited that you have to go, who are, I would imagine, very excited and enthused mm. about the honor of being a facilitator for part of a program that's ultimately sponsored by the CEO of the organization, right? And... Um, and you train them. You train them on how to facilitate in the context that you're planning, which is an in-person environment, right? Um, so it's March 2020. I think everyone knows what happened in March 2020. <laughs> yes. So what what'd you do? I will never forget that day. I was still at the office. It was about eight in the evening. I think it was a Thursday or a Friday and our facilitators... Um, uh, our facilitators were supposed to travel from the US for the kickoff uh, the week after. And I get a call that sadly the situation in the US with the pandemic is such that no one is allowed to travel anymore. Uh, so, look, what do you do? You take a breath, <laughs> first of all. Or two. And, and, <laughs> or, or two, if you need to. Maybe you need a glass of water, maybe a glass of wine, whatever helps you in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I think first thing you do is you you accept the reality because these are factors that are completely outside of your control. Uh, so you start thinking about a way forward. And uh, well, first thing we knew was that we didn't know what the situation was really going to look like with the pandemic. Let's remember it was the first really couple of weeks especially in the UK where I was based at the time. And very much people were in denial. Uh, I remember exactly the comments, especially when we started working from home, people were saying goodbyes in the office and say, okay, see you in the next, see you in a couple of weeks. And we never went back to the office, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. so that was the mindset at the time. And first of all, we needed to work through with that mindset because there was an element of, okay, we'll just postpone for a couple of weeks. 
Uh, and that was one first big hurdle to start conversations around, okay, that is one option that we will be able to resume in a couple of weeks. But really, we are making assumptions about things here that are only just starting and that are completely outside of our control as an organization. So very, very quickly, uh, we we made a very, I believe at the time, very responsible decision. And we assumed that we don't know what's going to happen And therefore, we didn't want to compromise the program because it was of very, very big strategic importance to our leadership in the the bank. So what do you do? So first of all, you need to go back to your strategy and revisit it. And the first assumption was, well, we need to convert this program to be 100% virtual. So eliminate the aspect of travel and in-person interactions. So that was an immediate thing that we knew and that we agreed on. And that was our first assumption. Um, But then, of course, there was an element of, okay, well, we now need to revisit some of the content and validate whether any changes to the content need to be made in order for the content to lend itself for virtual delivery as opposed to classroom delivery. And we know, right, that if you've planned a group exercise in classroom, you can also achieve this on WebEx or on Zoom, right? You can create a breakout room, but perhaps you need to give people different instructions, right? So there is always some element of content redesign. It can be 10%, it can be 50%, but there is always that element. I think one other important thing that, that I should add at this time is the facilitators who went through the train the trainer program and got accredited, you know, fantastic professionals, but not professional facilitators, right. not professional facilitators. So reason why I'm sharing this as well is because that was one of the biggest elements of the complete change in strategy that we had to work through because I think you made that comment earlier, Tom, actually, absolutely, our facilitators were so excited. They understood the weight and the importance and the prominence of this project. Uh, The Train the Trainer program for four months that they went through was really phenomenal. The Thrive Global team did such a great job with them. And it was, you know, it was was world-class Train the Trainer program. And and really, they were so emotionally attached to this program, our facilitators. I will never forget what the reaction was in the first couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, 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 it what was, was it? Almost, How did they react? Well, first it was first it was disbelief. Right. And and first from the facilitators, what we heard, okay, let's just wait a couple of weeks, you know, let's just wait a couple of weeks and, and postpone the launch and we'll do it, you know, even if a month later, yeah. Then when, of course, the decision was made to change the strategy in terms of how this program is delivered, everyone was very professional, but there was an element of disappointment, you know, and I can understand, you know, they put their heart and soul into it on top of their day-to-day jobs as well. And they were selected for a reason for this program to be our facilitators. So I can completely understand. People put a lot of work and passion into it and, and suddenly were saying it's going to completely change. And then there was that other element, I believe, of fear. Facilitation in classroom is very different to facilitate to virtual facilitation. Some skills that you need are are common, but they're 
but there are some skills that are different. So for them, it was also that fear of, first of all, I don't know how to do it virtually. So it's right, so that right. it's engaging and effective. <clears throat> Two, is it really going to be a good experience if I'm not with the people in the room, right. you know? Um, and again, we know, you know, learning and development professionals know that you can create a great discussion, a great session virtually. Um, but I could also, un- I could understand their perspective. They just couldn't imagine how it would work, and how it would be an impactful program when they deliver everything over WebEx because right. we were using right. WebEx at the time. Right. I mean, I would, you know, I'd imagine from their perspective, they're taking a lot of pride. They put a lot of effort in, right? And I think that there's a little bit of deep down in there, especially if you haven't facilitated over Zoom, you know, there's probably a little bit of ego, human ego, which everyone has in there that says, you know, like I need to help be in the room and, and you know, make eye contact and see and have an awareness and, and try to, you know, build on some of those facilitation skills that I took the time to to learn to create an effective environment because I know yes. how important this is for the organization, how high profile it is. How do you help them through that? How do you help, you know, get the facilitators from a place of fear and concern about their ability to effectively deliver the content mm-hmm. over over Zoom? You know, how'd you, how'd you help them cross that hump? Well, my approach in situations like that typically is you need to, first of all, apply a lot of patience and compassion towards people. And with that mindset, take next steps. So first of all, uh, you know, I played a role in helping them visualize what, um, you know, the, 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 the redesigned experience could look like. So really talk to people about specifics, how it can specifically work and share your own experience with them. Show them, tell them, engage them. Yeah. Show them some past examples again, because otherwise people build stories in their heads, you know, they conceptualize and they go off on a tangent because they don't have that particular experience. So they're just making up things in their head, basically. (laughs) Right. 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 You know, as we all do, as we all do. So to mitigate some of that fear, I believe, show them past examples, right? Engage them in that way. And then also, again, for me, it's it's important that, you know, you engage uh, these key stakeholders in co-creating the, the plan and the strategy with you for that new program. So they were part of building the strategy. I thought it was important that they have a voice have in a voice, that as right. well because right. they ultimately are accountable for delivering the content. So co-creating and engaging them in that way. And the other thing was that we we put them through another train-the-trainer program. So that was another uh, element of reassurance that, look, you already have the subject matter knowledge because that was also part of, of their fear that are we going to have to repeat four months of this program, oh, our accreditation again. program. And absolutely not, because you already have the subject matter knowledge, right? You already know the information that you need to relate to your audiences. It, it will be a different way in which you will do it. So we will focus, we focused the um, the additional uh, train the trainer purely on those remote facilitation skills so what that meant is again we reassured them that hey you know more than you 
feel or think you do at this point in time. And we're not going to put you through the paces again. We will focus on your virtual facilitation skills. Obviously, I think there's a lot of facilitators out there in our audience uh, listening. You know, they've had, obviously, over the last uh, 24 months, a lot of opportunity to, to start to uh, build those facilitate virtual facilitation skills. But if there was like one or two very specific takeaways we could offer for them that maybe was in that train the trainer that you did for for all the facilitators that you were teaching to make for a very effective virtual facilitation. What are like one or two key key things you would give to our virtual facilitators out there that they can be doing to make sure they're as effective as possible when when you know, facilitating a class virtually? Well, you know, to be brief, I think one thing I would say is the operating word for me here is intentionality. It's a bit of a tongue twister for me, but (laughs) intentionality. What I mean by that is, is, is a little bit like with hybrid work in general. When you're at the office or in a classroom, yes, when we, we talk about training, There are moments that happen spontaneously and communication and exchange of thoughts, opinions, sometimes this happens spontaneously, right? You you catch someone's eye in the room and you, you know, exchange a couple of thoughts or someone spontaneously makes a comment in the room because, you know, you you feel the room, right? Right. When you are on your own, like I am now in my house, I don't have anyone around me to interact with. So... I need to be more intentional with how I interact with people. So perhaps, you know, whatever application you use, Zoom, WebEx, uh, MS Teams, doesn't matter, but post something or ask a question and say, pop your answer into the chat box or raise your hand, or maybe you do a little poll for for 30 seconds. You know, for me, it's that intentionality and those very, very, small but consistent and constant throughout your session interactions so we're not there to talk at people Uh, so so that intentionality I still think that one of the things that's common is as a facilitator the energy that you give to the room whether it's a physical room or it's a virtual room people feel it you know if you project that energy they will absorb it and give some of that back to you uh, whether you're in a classroom or in a virtual environment. Yeah. I think those are two great takeaways. To recap, I, I, I wrote that down. is just be intentional on driving engagement. Mm-hmm. It, you have to be maybe a little bit more thoughtful of it than when, you, when you're facilitating in person. Because when you're facilitating in person, it's almost something that's like uh, unconsciously competent. You don't even think about it. You just yes. do it, right? Yes. And, and maybe in the virtual environment, you're more consciously competent. You have to think about it to, to be doing it, but make sure you're being intentional about that engagement you're driving with your audience and then be the energy. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, you know, it's something, you know, not, definitely not a learning and development professional by trade, although I've worked with uh, them constantly over the last 10 years of my career, but uh, in a, a sales or a customer facing perspective, I think that's one of the Biggest things I tell my team all the time is, is you are the energy that you bring and so are your customers, right? They're going to react to the energy that you bring to any discussion. So, you know, make it positive, make it fun, uh, make it enjoyable because, you know, why not enjoy ourselves while we're here? 
Well, exactly, right? And your audience will feel it as well if you're enjoying it. One thing, just to get back to something you mentioned earlier, you know, you you touched on all of the changes that you guys needed to do to convert the program to virtual. And one of the ones you touched on was the content itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us about some of those content changes that you guys had to make to the program to allow it to be more effective to deliver virtually? Oh, goodness. Um, I guess I remember a couple of things from that. Again, we in, we introduced uh, more, more of those smaller interactions. So like do a little poll, for example, you know, every, every five or 10 minutes, you know, to keep the engagement whereby in the classroom you would just you know, you would just, I don't know, ask people to stand up for two minutes and, right. and you know, and walk around a little bit. You know, sometimes trainers do these things in the room, which, you know, which which are a little bit rogue, but they're also needed. And, you know, they, they keep the people engaged. Right. Something I didn't mention, but that had a little bit of an impact on the content as well. Well, not necessarily on the technical subject matter information or knowledge but some of the positioning of some of the key messages because let's remember originally our strategy was to uh, target the manager population with with this program and managers would get a couple of additional resources from us and then managers would go back to their teams and you know cascade it however they wanted right but one of what i believe was actually the the greatest benefit uh, of us changing the strategy again through not through you know uh, us being intentional about it but through external external factors but i believe that that was one of the biggest silver linings there is that we proposed if we've got no traveling costs if we've got no venue issues because also as remember you know we, you've got to have rooms big enough to to, to have the all these people in right, right? right. Look, long story short, we opened the program to all employees, all 200,000, over 200,000 of them, because suddenly, if your strategy is completely virtual, why not open it up to everybody? Why not? And it's become the most inclusive program across the bank. That was literally, there was nothing else from a learning and development perspective at the time that every and any employee in the bank could take uh, advantage of, not to mention that the topic of emotional wellness and mental health and well-being is applicable to all of us, you know? Yeah, especially in the context of the times. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, that's great. I think, you know, as, a, as, a, as another takeaway there, I think that that highlight of, of uh, being thoughtful about those small interactions and those breaks in, in heavy technical subject matter um, and building in more of those little micro breaks or engagements for that virtual audience is, a, is an important and um, you know, thoughtful content design change that, that people uh, out, in the, out there in the audience can hopefully take away and, and consider if they're not doing today already and mm-hmm. how they you know, modify programs from, you know, instructor-led in-person to more virtual programs. You know, you mentioned, I think that that's a, that's a great takeaway. It actually kind of answers, starts to be an answer to, you know, one of my, one of my other questions. What are some of the outcomes you believe that you guys were able to achieve because it was virtual that maybe weren't planned or you didn't, you weren't able to see during that pivot? First thing is uh, speed of implementation, 
And what I mean by that is, again, in the original plan, you know, there was an element of travel and, uh, you know, obviously you're planning within the means that you have as well. So we were using internal facilities available in all those different hubs. So we were in many ways limited by by the sizes of the rooms and we Mm -hmm. couldn't have uh, more than a particular number of people in those rooms. So again, accelerate a little bit. And as you can imagine, again, this was a multi-year program. So no one expected us to run with it within a year and finish it. But it was going to be a multi-multi-year program. But again, suddenly we were able to reach people much faster because we could have unlimited number of people at every session. Because again, that's how it was designed really in the virtual instance that we didn't have to limit the number of participants in the session. Uh, so, so, so you can, um, you know, you can reach your audiences much faster. And then when you think about the subject matter, you do want to reach people fast when it comes to mental and emotional health support at the best of times, because we know how much, uh, how 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 big a challenge globally around the world, uh, you know, mental health is really these days. So let alone that, but also think about the timing. It was at the start of the pandemic. People were panicking. I remember very well because I worked with people who when they heard that they will need to work from home now, they, they had fear. They would come to me and say, I've worked at the bank for 15 years and I never worked at home once. I don't even know how I how, how, how I where start. Where do I start? Right. Where do I start? Oh. And <clears throat> so that speed and and especially when you consider the importance of the topic and on top of that you add the timing. <laughs> yeah. You know? Then, then to me, that that speed is even more important uh, to get getting through to people as quickly as possible. And I, again, I remember as we started, you know, when we finally launched and we started running with it and we started getting feedback, we would get feedback from people that this was the best learning experience in their life. I had feedback that it, someone I I will never forget it said this changed this will change my life. Because I think completely differently about me as a human being right now, because that's how it was all designed to create those aha moments to show people that, you know, for example, if you say you can function properly on four hours of sleep, that's biologically not possible. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you will start struggling at some point. At some point, You know, because, because you will, and there are reasons for it. Anyway, so we, we the program really aimed to not only arm people with tactics and strategies for building personal resilience and looking after yourself, especially at difficult times, but also to hopefully change some of your beliefs about your own limits as a human being when it comes to health. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, the two I, I take away there are, are the, you know, I think that the... I think it, you know, there's one, there's that, that perfect storm, right? It actually looked, you know, at the beginning, it, it probably looked terrifying and daunting and, and frustrating to have worked so hard for so long on such a large, large program that you had a clear plan for that you're going to execute, that you're going to deliver, and then have to flip it on its head 
But I think the benefits of what happened after doing that with the speed in which you guys were able to get it out on such a important topic at such an important time in the world, and then the accessibility change that existed by you know being able to reach directly reach as much of the bank as possible, which wasn't even a practical consideration in the original design of the program. You know, it almost it's almost as if the the benefits and those outcomes of that change probably in a retrospect outweighed the the challenge of having to change and having to pivot. I would add one other thing I think it's quite important actually about consistency as well. Because again, if you think about it, the original strategy was designed that trained, accredited professionally trained for four months, facilitators would deliver it to managers. And then managers who are not trained to that extent (laughs) would take those messages to their teams. And with all due respect, there would be managers who would do a great job. There would be managers who wouldn't for a number of reasons. Yeah. And in the new strategy, we were consistently giving the same message to everybody and that message was given by people who were professionally trained for four months to do it. That's a great one. That's super. I'm glad you jumped in. I'm, uh, and I'm super <laughs> glad that you added that because it is, that's a hugely important difference, right? I think that mm-hmm. if our audience were to take, you know, one thing away that to me stands out is, you know, regardless of what the next 24, 48 months of our worlds look like, you know, there's a tool here that a lot of people started to you know, exercise some muscles in, you know, that is hybrid delivery. Um, that if you're thinking about supporting an audience that is needs to be, you know, a piece of a delivering a piece of content that needs to be widely accessible, that needs to get out to an audience quickly, where you need to ensure consistency of communication. I mean, this is a tool in your belt. It's a benefit of what's happened over the last 24 to 48 months. If, you, if you've learned how to exercise the muscle of delivering hybrid learning, you know, don't forget to assess your strategy. And if the requirements of your program include you know, speed to market, easy accessibility for a large audience, and consistency of delivery, well, you've got a good tool for that. And you've probably gotten really effective at delivering using a hybrid model or a virtual model in the last, you know, 24 to 48 months. One other question, um, you know, this was a very visible program as we started out earlier. You know, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that you were leading a program that's CEO sponsored, right? Um, Working across a number of stakeholders and managing that. What was the perspective of the sponsors on the program after the pivot? You know, they obviously had goals and business outcomes they were expecting, your CEO was expecting to achieve. Um, what kind of feedback did you, yeah, we've heard of the amazing feedback from the facilitators, from the uh, learners themselves. What kind of feedback did you get from the, the stakeholders? Pretty similar in nature, to be honest, because actually we, as part of the kickoff at the very start, uh, first we invited our top executives from the bank to go through it. And feedback from them was was really glowing. Uh, And I know that sounds like nirvana. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but look I, again, I believe I believe that ultimately, and 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 not only I believe, well, I believe because of my experiences that ultimately, to someone like your leadership teams in the business, it doesn't matter necessarily how exactly you're going to do it, as long as it brings about the result that that they were all expecting, and and in fact, we exceeded their expectations. If you think about it, because first of all. Again, something we didn't mention, but, you know, a, a little bit more detail. The plan was really that it would take us about three years to go through this, to complete this program. Uh, then when you think about cost of travel, it's travel, it's hotels, it's providing food. I mean, that's that's a huge budget. We also saved a lot of time because, look, I am all for a human-to-human connection. I am... I love getting together with people. I love the energy that a group of people can generate when they are in one room together. But again, many people think, oh, it's so fancy to travel, you know. On the one hand, maybe it is, but a lot of the time the reality is that, you know, especially back in the day that you would go to a two-day course Ultimately, you're losing four days in your week because you might take one day to travel, two days at the course, one more day to travel, depending on how, you know, where you're going, how your flights are organized and so on. So, yeah, so really, and the quality of the output was still exactly what we expected, you know, same content, just delivered differently, delivered by people who are professionally equipped and prepared to do this, cost, time reduction. Uh, inclusivity increase speed to market I mean you know it's a whole list of benefits really if you think about it (laughs) yeah 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 that's great I mean it's I think it's great it's a point I didn't want uh, our listeners to miss right because I think that to your point it's not just the benefits to the team executing the program through the change because there was clearly benefits there it's not just the benefits to the learners but you know, there, there's clear quantifiable benefits to the stakeholders that are supporting and and funding this effort, um, and I and I think also the takeaway of of uh, for a program this large, you know, make sure those stakeholders are in the first class and that they're bought into the delivery as you continue to roll that out. I think that's a an actionable thought that our our audience can take away if they're if that's not something that they're already doing. Really, business sponsorship and leadership sponsorship for any learning and development program since we're focusing on programs here today it, it, it is is incredibly incredibly impactful if the business leaders don't care about your program their teams will not care about the program and vice versa yeah i've seen that myself uh, even in in uh, we've brought in over the course of my career and maybe we've brought in uh outside agencies customers in fact to help deliver uh sales training to our organization and um you know, one that I could think of, uh, we did with uh, Richardson and all of our leaders did it first. We were super, we loved it. Like we, we had so much fun. We were like, oh, I can't wait for our teams to do this. And it, it was great. I, our team still, I still have people who bring that up all the time. Right. And I think that that is go. a difference. Um, so I think that's a huge takeaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary, I just want to stop and say kudos uh, to you and your entire team. I mean, that's a, it's an incredible story. I really appreciate you sharing it. Um, and that's quite the accomplishment at the end of the day. I mean, you guys did, I think, what any professional would do. You looked at the reality of the situation, you understood what the requirements were, and, and you moved forward to the best of your ability. And 
the outcome that you guys were able to achieve with you know improved speed to market, reduced budget, uh, travel expense, accessibility to even more of the bank uh, with content that was super important at a super important time, um, not just professionally, but personally for the, the people yeah. that work for you guys. I mean, that's something awesome. And I, I, I can only imagine the impact that had um, you know, for the team and the employees at, at Bank of America. So thank you for, for sharing the story. Uh, there's a, I guess one last thing before we wrap here today, you, you've shared a lot. Uh, you've got a lot of experience. If our, if our listeners want to learn more about you or, or reach out or, or learn more about the story and specifics, where, you know, where can they find you on socially on LinkedIn or anything like that? What's the best way for our, our listeners to reach out and learn more about you and your story? Yes. I, I'd love to connect with anyone who, who would like to as well. Um, I love collaborating and uh, and and meeting new people as well. So it would be fantastic. Yes, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just pop in my name and my last name and you'll find me. If any of you are members of the George Burson Academy, I'm also there, uh, senior faculty there. And you can find me in the Hacking HR community as well. So if you are not familiar with that community, also check it out on LinkedIn. We've got over 200,000 followers, I think. So hacking HR. Uh, but yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So please connect. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Well, Mary, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your story. And, and thank you for your, you and your team's contribution to, uh, you know, the wellness of 200,000 Bank of America employees. I think it's an awesome story and I really appreciate it. Well, it, you know, it takes a village to deliver a project, but Thank you so much for listening and for being here with us today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Tom. The Secret Society of Success is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Check out our sister podcast, Talk of the Trade, for tips and tricks for sales and marketing leaders. Visit www.mimeo.com for more information.